We're recording. Hey, hey. So a little intro, uh, Lori, a few weeks ago, we got to find out more about you. And we got tons of backlash about that because everyone's like, we hate Lori. No. That's Why <laughs> is this always the running joke? No, you know what? I actually got a lot of messages before we did it asking questions about you. And then every single one of those people messaged me afterwards when the podcast came out being like, thank you for listening, which was really nice because it was... They wanted to know how you got to where you are today, and you were super open about everything. Well, I, I got some good feedback, so I'm happy that I did it. It was a very quick version of, you know, my life story and how that came to be, but, you know, it's better than nothing. So today we're going to flip the scripts a little bit. We are, and I'm excited because, you know, we always say this, we've known each other of each other for how many years like 25 years something like that yeah but I don't really know you and how you know you got into everything that you're into and I know I you've been open about some of your struggles um during your lifetime but again I have never heard it from you from the source so I'm really excited for just this. the rumor mill a little bit nervous <laughs> so I promise there's nothing that you can't ask me we'll talk about my successes and my struggles okay Let's do it. Let's do it. Take it away. All right. So, Lee, I have you in the hot seat. You have me in the hot seat. I'm used to it. Bring it on. But for some reason today, you don't have those emoji, those heart emojis in your eyes. Those heart emojis in my eyes? Remember I call you the human emoji? Yeah, because every day I'm really excited when we start a podcast. Uh, Because I don't know what you're going to ask me. I think it's and the first to, time I've seen you a little bit nervous. No, I wouldn't be nervous because I'm really open about everything. I I've, I don't hide anything at all. Um, but it's different because I'm trying to let my guard down. When when we start a podcast or start anything else, I, I come in, I try to make sure I'm energized. And now I just want to be, be real. I don't want to like, I don't want to play or act. You know what I mean? Okay, so let's, I always say, let's dive right in right now. So I want to say when you were... 10 years old what did you envision your life to be in terms of work like I know my five-year-old boys Ethan tells me he wants to be a fireman Mason tells me he wants to be a construction worker what what did you want to be okay so there was two things always I either wanted to be like a SWAT police officer like gun bulletproof vest and just run around like that or I wanted to be a late night talk show host because I remember watching like David Letterman, Jay Leno. And like, I just loved that. Like it, it was all about having fun, but not being the center of attention without being the center of attention. So you wanted late night because you wanted to be able to get a little bit dirty. Well, it seemed the most entertaining and the most real. It wasn't even about like at that age. It wasn't you even about swear being you could. Yeah. But it, it just, it just seemed like fun. And they were such, at that time in the 90s, like David Letterman was like the best interviewer. And so I saw like, you see celebrities, like other sides come out and I found that so cool. It's so interesting because last week on the podcast, when you interviewed me, you had told me that you always wanted to be famous. Always wanted to be famous. And so uh, later in life, I ended up going to like acting school. And I remember a teacher asking, who wants to be an actor and who wants to be famous? And it's a very it's a very innocent question, and most people would be like, "No, I want to be an actor." I don't know why. It was something about that I wanted, not the recognition, but 
I like that idea of walking into a room and everyone knowing who I was. And I still have that. There's no question about it. Like, I, I enjoy the position I am in life today. I enjoy, you know, in Montreal being recognized sometimes. But I also know full well that it all stemmed from a lot of insecurities when I was younger. And I needed everybody to like me. Like, I cared so much that everybody likes me. Well, I could tell because you thought I didn't like you 20 years ago. And it's still something that you bring up today. So that really got to you. You know what? It was... Yes, I still bring it up today, but it's not because you. I didn't think you liked me. I'm a firm believer that if you're nice to everybody, it comes back. So when I, I meet somebody or I interact with somebody that I don't think is nice, I remember that. And so it's not, a, it's not a jab at you, but there's a few people in my life, literally probably five or six, that in my entire life really stay in my head, and you were always one of them. I'm just saying we had Vanessa Grimaldi on the podcast, yeah. and she sided with me saying... That there's no way I had told you straight, you know, straight out that you were a bad DJ. No way. But then on the Let's flip side, sh- no. Let's move on. On the flip side, Vanessa also said that I'm not known for like no. exaggerating or lying. So it did happen. Like a hundred percent. Maybe I was older. You were a little intimidated. I was running the event that time. I don't know. Let's, Let's move we on put, from that. Let's move on. Okay. So you wanted to be a late night host and what was your first gig so I remember being in high school all my friends had like part-time jobs and then I was like 14 and I started DJing and animating bar mitzvahs so like that was the first taste of like being in front of a crowd and getting that instant like instant recognition or and and I, I loved it because I was able to like make people happy and that's when I realized it wasn't even so much about being famous, but if I could put myself in a position, because I know I'm outgoing, I know I could command a stage, if I can make people happy, I feel better about myself. And when I was younger, I mean, you know, I didn't really touch on it before, but it's, I had so many insecurities. And I know we all do. There's no question what about What insecurities? It. I didn't think I was good enough. I always compared myself to other people. I just wanted people to like me. And that's, it seems okay. Everybody has that, right? Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody, but... I, I really cared so much about that. Um, and just before I started DJing bar mitzvahs and all that stuff, I remember going downtown for my first drink. And the second I tried alcohol was the first time I didn't care what other people thought about me. And so, like, all of a sudden, all of this, like, me wanting to perform and be on stage and me, like, drinking, it was all tangled together because I... I was able to feel good by doing the performing and the bar mitzvahs and the weddings and the sweet 16s, which I was never drunk at. I would never do that. But if I wasn't doing, if I wasn't performing, I wasn't happy with myself. And so it, it started really young when I was just like, I want to feel better. And there was only two solutions in my mind. It was either drink and do drugs, starting at like age 13, 14, or perform and be this, you know, be a persona of myself. So... I find that astonishing because you're from Montreal. You were born and raised here. So was I. We come from this very close-knit Jewish community here in Montreal. Where were you finding drugs and alcohol at 13 years old? Well, so it wasn't, and I wasn't doing drugs regularly and I wasn't drinking every single day. But I mean, I remember when I was like 13, 14, going downtown for the first time 
And that's when people in our community started doing it. At 14, some people would start going downtown. I mean, it was the older kids in school that invited me out. And it was smoking the odd joint here and there. I, I mean, I saw people doing it. So I wasn't alone in it. And then maybe the fact that as of 14, I was also six feet tall didn't hurt. Right. Because I could so for our U.S. listeners um, listening to this podcast, our legal age to go out into clubs and drink here in Montreal is 18 years old. Exactly. In the U.S. it's 21. So we, I want to say I started going downtown and going out around 15 years old with a fake ID and you know, we'd, we know the bouncers, they let us in and everything, but 13 is youngly. It wasn't regular. Like, I mean, I smoked my first joint when I was like 12 or 13 or something, but it was really when I was in grade seven later on maybe even great. I don't remember exactly when that I actually like went downtown for the first time, but it, it, and it wasn't a regular thing. I wasn't drinking and going downtown all the time, but I remember having that first drink with older kids feeling cool and feeling like a part of the group. Um, so the first time you took a hit from a joint, did you love it? Because most people don't. I don't really remember it. I remember feeling cool for doing it. I remember feeling a rebel, I was standing just like on the side of the road with like a friend and, and, we, and we tried it. Um, I don't remember my first toke of a joint, but I remember the effects of alcohol through all, all of high school. I remember feeling better looking, funnier, thinner, taller. Like I remember, I remember feeling like Superman whenever I had a drink. I never forgot that feeling. And I chased that for years. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. The first time I tried a cigarette, I was never into weed or anything like that. I tried it and I'm the type of person, I'm the exact opposite. So of course I grew up with insecurities. I still have insecurities. Something that a lot of people don't know about me is that I have huge social anxiety, which makes no sense at all because I'm so public and yeah. I'm a publicist and you know, from day to day, I work with so many different people on television, but put me in a room with a ton of people that want to talk and chit chat. I, my, my heart is in my throat. I just, I, I get social anxiety. I've been like this since I, I was a little girl. It's something that I've struggled with my entire life, um, and still do, but, but it's interesting going back to smoking my first joint. I hated not feeling in control. I felt like my my head was oozy. I, I I tried reading a magazine. I couldn't read in a straight line. I just I hated it. Not having control made my anxiety worse, and I never smoked a joint again. However, the first time <laughs> I smoked a cigarette, yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is freaking amazing cigarettes i loved from the first time i tried really? they're horrible for you but yeah but a joint no because it doesn't do that no it doesn't do the same thing i mean it's yeah I, I smoked cigarettes starting at like 14 15 also and i and i loved it and there was no one in my life like okay my older sister would drink or smoke you know sometimes but like th- there was not drugs or alcohol in my house like my parents weren't drinkers there was actually no sign and this is scary you being a parent there was no sign when I was a teenager that I would end up in three rehabs. Wow. Like I was the kid in high school that was like lead in the plays, captain of the basketball team. I was on the student council. Like I, on the outside, I had my shit together. On the outside, I was like 
this outgoing, happy kid. So at your worst, and this is getting personal, you said I can ask anything. What were the types of drugs you were doing at your worst? So I've I've tried a bunch of things, but my my main ones were pot, alcohol, and cocaine. I've done tons of ecstasy. I've done speed. I've done mushrooms. But it's like, and people ask me, oh, is that all, not all you've done? The only reason I didn't try other drugs is because they were never in front of me. So like I, I had this, and this is, I, I use it as a bit of humor, but it's it's scary if you really think about it. When I was like 19, 20, and I was like really just doing whatever the hell I wanted, I had this one dealer friend who sold pills, but he never knew exactly what they were. Like it, they, he knew that there was, you know, ecstasy, speed, and like variants of all that. Um, and he would give me a bag full of stuff for free and say, just don't mix them and tell me what they are. So I was like the guinea pig. Oh my God for testing them and we knew it wasn't anything crazy we knew it was in this realm um but i had like no problem and i thought it was the coolest thing ever that i was doing that and like looking back i could have died like it's it's crazy i mean i trusted this person no problem just that he wasn't handing me something i just find it so scary that your parents and i know they you know you're you're close with your family yeah i know you you're very close with your sister and your step siblings yeah how did nobody notice? Well, they did. I mean, early on, it, it's tough because when you're 18 and you're, you know, smoking joints and drinking, well, most 18-year-olds are doing that here. Or if you're in the States, you're 21-year-olds. Like, it's a normal thing. And as it got worse and worse, okay, clearly everyone else knew that I had a problem. But what do you say? Because if you say something to me and call me out, chances are I'm going to push you away. And everyone was worried. My sisters were, were extremely worried. My stepsister, my parents but they just didn't know what the fuck to do anymore. Like they had tried. So like I'd gone to therapist and I said, okay, yes, I'll, I, I knew what to say. I have the gift of gab and I could talk to people and I thought I was getting away with it. If I could convince you that I didn't have a problem, then maybe I wouldn't have a problem. So I would talk my way in and out of every situation, but it got to the point where, yeah, everyone in my family was really worried. Not when I was 18, but you know, I'm like 20 and all of a sudden I'm just not showing up to school anymore I'm barely working I'm just working enough to be able to support what I want to do um I wasn't a bad person through any of this like I was still like I was still the not the person I am today but like I was still a good kid I just wanted to party like that's what I cared about I cared about having a good time I didn't care about the repercussions I didn't care about my future it was just if I could feel better right now about myself because I didn't like who I'd become I was kind of embarrassed of the person I was. Um, but I rem- one of the, tr- the big moments for me was I was like 19, 20, and I lost a close friend of mine. She died in a car accident. And at that time, I was like, I started going through a depression, and I started like just really struggling. Was this Jackie? It was Jackie. Okay. And so I really, really struggled with that for a while, like tons of people in our community did. And I was just really lost and scared. And I knew that every time I drank, I felt a bit better. But I remember there's a few girls that called me and they said, hey, we're trying ecstasy tonight. Do you want to come? And instantly I was like, yeah. Like, even though I knew it probably wasn't good for me, but right away I was just, I felt, I felt a part of something. So I did these drugs with these girls and it wasn't one night. It turned into like a month. And then I always said, as long as I don't do cocaine, it's fine. Because it's just like some party drugs. And then a few months later, one of those girls called me and said, hey, do you want to come over after the club tonight and we'll try Coke? 
And the second I tried that drug, it started to ruin my life. Because, like, the alcohol, you could bounce back after a hangover. It's just, but with, with the Coke, I just wanted more and as much as I could as quickly as, and it was, it was all to fix how I was feeling inside because I just, I woke up every single day hating the fucking person I was, hating me so, so much. Um, so, it's obvious, listen, this is a tough podcast and it's hard to listen to because you obviously struggled with a lot of demons, but you should be so fucking proud of yourself how you've come out on the other side and oh, who you sure. are today. I just for want sure. to put that out there because it's people like you that have a platform like this that could really help other people yeah. that are going through something similar, whether that's, you know, drugs or an eating disorder. I mean, there's so many different things that people struggle with on a daily basis where they feel like they hate themselves and they don't know what to do. My question for you, and I think a lot of people would want to know is, if you're a parent or a friend or a relative that sees someone they care about drowning, what what do you think they should do? How do they approach it? It's so tough. I get that question all the time. I have people like in our community, I have strangers reaching out to me asking for their loved one. I wish there was just one quick thing, but it's like, how do you actually approach that person? You couldn't have said anything to me that would have made me change the way I was acting. So do you believe, you know, where you hear people say the person needs to hit rock bottom for themselves? You, you do. I mean, it's 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 a hundred percent. I knew in theory that my life was shit. I knew that it was drugs and alcohol that were making it that much worse. Yet after two rehabs, I didn't want to actually do anything about it. So I went to like two rehabs just to shut either my girlfriend up or shut my parents up, shut my siblings up. And I was just always, I never actually wanted the help. I never actually committed to doing it. Like I remember going to like a 12 step meeting after being in rehab, going to like an AA meeting and taking like a six month sobriety chip. Like, a, a, you know, it's like a, a celebration. I took the chip for being six months sober while I was doing Coke in the bathroom at that meeting. Wow. Because I thought if I could go home and show my parents, Hey, look, I'm six months sober. Then that but would be better. How did you get better. that? They don't do drugs or alcohol tests. No. Cause it, it so any of these like 12 step fellowships, it's a self help thing. Like it's, well, that seems ridiculous. You're, they're working with addicts. There should be, um, you know, it, tests it, being done to see well, if you're it, clean. It's, it's a, it's not a rehab, right? It's, it's not a, if you're at a rehab and yeah, there's drug tests sometimes going on there, but like a 12 step meeting. And this will answer kind of part of your question is that I go to AA meetings because I want to get and stay sober. So it's, you know, I'm going to get out of it as much as I put into it. You know, like I wasn't fooling anybody that I was sober at the time, but what the 12 step meetings are for me, it's like, it's a, it's a way of life. And it's, I'm sitting in a room with people that understand me because they've been, been through the exact same thing. So if, if you're struggling because somebody in your family is like, if you don't know what to do for your, for your kids, obviously not yours, they're five years old, but like for your kids or like a loved one, there's meetings for you too. Um, like I go to AA, but there's something called Al-Anon, which is like for the loved ones of the alcoholic. Because there's also got to be like consequences. You can't just, it's not as simple as just telling me, Lee, don't drink. I don't like seeing it. Lee, don't drink. You're hurting yourself. Like I know drinking isn't good for me, but in the moment, that's all I care about. And I'm not thinking properly. 
And it's a, it's a real addiction. It's a disease. It's oh, it not is. something you could just stop yourself. It's, it's not that simple. Like it, As an outsider, it's so easy to look in and say, well, just don't do it. It's hurting you. Just don't do it. It's ruining your career. It's ruining your family life. It's not that simple. Um, but it got to the point where I hated myself so much and I was so embarrassed of the person I'd become because I was waking up like every day literally thinking today's the next worst day of my life. And I believed it. Like I was waking up every day struggling just to like get in the shower and start my day. But there was one day 11 years ago where I was like, today's the day I'm going to kill myself. It was, I was just, it wasn't, I'd thought about it in the past or like, you know, maybe a few too many drinks thought about like, how would I ever do it? But there was this one day I just woke up and I was like, I don't want to fucking do it anymore. I, I, I was an embarrassment to my family. Like my friends didn't want to be around me. I saw the way my younger sister looked at me and I was completely fucking embarrassed of myself. And I said, that's it. I'm, I'm going to kill myself. And so I think I had like a drink or two. I'm walking around not far from here and completely at peace with it's just, it's best for everybody if I kill myself today. And I'm standing on Dakari, which is like one of the main highways here on the overpass. And all I was waiting for was to throw myself over. So all I was literally, I just needed that little burst of energy from my toes to throw myself off. And that's how close I was to killing myself. Like it was milliseconds away. And then for the first time in my life, I said, or I could just, I could just ask for help. And I had never actually done that before. It was always like other people, you have to go to rehab, you have to go to a therapist, you have to do this, you have to do that. But it was the first time I was like, I don't, want to feel like this anymore and I never actually thought that before it was always like oh shit I was caught with drugs oh no I was caught drinking too much my parents think there's a problem I never thought that there was a problem and that was the first day that I said I'm willing to do anything not to feel like this anymore and I walked up to the to the closest hospital and I said I want to kill myself I need help Wow. and they took me into emergency and then they put me in the psych ward for a week and that was like that was like the hardest week of my life. Cause I was just like drained and, and embarrassed and exhausted, like completely like to the core exhausted. But it was the first time in my life that I was kind of at ease and like <sighs> relieved that I wasn't like hiding anymore and like having to be something that I wasn't. And, uh, and I wish I could tell you, I haven't had a drink since that day. Right. But that's, that's the disease I have. My disease tells me that I'm okay. My disease tells me that I don't have a problem. So wait, you have had a drink since? Since that day. So I get out of the hospital after wanting to kill myself as bad as my life was. And I get out of the hospital the next day I drank. Um, because I, I, I just couldn't stop it. it. Like having a drink was in my mind and I was just like, I want to do that. My neighbors were having a party and they left their drinks outside and I'm back in my mom's house. And I stole beer from their backyard and I'm sitting outside by myself drinking a little bit. And as I'm sitting there, not even drunk, just a few drinks. And I'm like, this is pathetic. And so I reached out to a friend who had gone to some meetings and gone to a rehab. And I said, I, 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 I want to get sober. And since that day, March 22nd, 2009, I haven't had a drink. Um, but it's crazy that after being in the psych ward, wanting to kill myself, being in the, like, it was not a nice psych ward. It was like a pretty fucking rough place. 
And that wasn't bottom enough for me. But realizing how close I am, even after that, to picking up a drink, that's what I realized. That's when I realized that I need to do something about this and I can't do it by myself. So the third time at rehab was when third things time. changed. Yeah. And it's not that the, that rehab worked. I mean, I stand by that rehab that I went to. It, it saved my life, but it's that I was ready to change. I was ready to do right. anything. Um, it's, I, I had to change everything in my life. Just even the people I was hanging out with, even like close friends that didn't even drink or anything. I had to stay away from absolutely everybody because for me, it was just, I care so much about what other people think about me. And I know that today that I had to make sure I was doing everything for me. And I didn't want to change the way I am to make you more comfortable or to get you to like me. Um, and since then, my life has completely changed. And for the first little bit, it was just a matter of, I will do anything not to feel the way I was. Have you smoked a joint since? No, no. There's been zero drugs, zero alcohol, like nothing. And, and I don't miss it today. But for a while, it was just not wanting to do those things so I don't feel like shit anymore. But at a certain point, I think at like a year or two sober, something clicked in me. And it was that, it's not that I didn't want to feel bad, it's that I wanted to be sober. It's that I wanted to have an amazing life. And that little change in me, just, it, it, it changed everything. And then I was like, you know what? I'm feeling good with myself. I could start getting out there and doing things. And, and that's why I was like, you know what? It's time to start follow, after a few years, starting to really start following my dream. And that's working hard and, and going to the entertainment field. And it's, it's crazy how quickly things change when it's just, when there's no bullshit attached to it. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm just speechless because I, I don't think I've ever had a heart to heart conversation with somebody that's been this open yeah. and raw about, you know, their demons and something so personal that they've really, and you know what I find crazily is that it just shows that you really truly never know what's going on in someone else's life because anybody who sees you and I've, and I always say this about you, you know, you walk into a room, even when you walked in the, this afternoon here, I'm just like, wow, you have so much energy to you. I need to catch up to you. You, you radiate so much positivity and you know, you, you're just so, what's the word? Like you're electric and you look happy and nobody would ever in a million years meeting you for the first time know that you've had this dark past and that obviously, you know, it's something that never goes away. Something like this, you know, that a person goes through, I don't think ever, it changes you, I'm sure. It, but it, it changes me. Also, I'm very grateful. My, my late father asked me, I think I was like two years sober. He's like, uh, if you had to go back and do anything, do everything again, what would you do differently? And I said, nothing. I just would have done it quicker. Right. Because like, there's the cliche that like everything that I've been through leads me to where I am today. Um, but it's like, I'm so grateful for the person I am today. And more importantly, like I have this, you know, I'm on the radio and I have like, you know, this following and I'm able to have this platform to speak up about everything I've been through but I'm able to help forget all the other bullshit that is in the entertainment world. Yeah. I get to meet cool people and, and, and go to cool places, but I get to share my story. And every time I do, people are like, thank you. I'm struggling with something too. And you know, you just said, you know, I, I, I might still struggle with certain things. I haven't had to, I haven't wanted a drink in almost 11 years. 
I haven't wanted to smoke a joint. Like I'm, I'm happy with myself today and I've come a really long fucking way, but it takes a lot of work on a regular basis to make sure. So it's, it's, I'm not reacting to the problem I have. I'm, I'm doing preventative stuff. Like I'm on the board of directors of Andy's house, the treatment center I went to, you know, I go to meetings, I try to help people. I'm open and I talk about it because if I do all these things, yes, I want to help you if you're struggling, but by helping you, it keeps me sober another day. So that's what it all comes down to. And I like, I know we want to talk about my career and stuff and we'll do that in another yeah. episode because that's, it's a whole other. I have so much more I want to talk to you about. And I know we have to wrap up now because we're recording another We're recording episode. another podcast in a few minutes, but this is, we'll wrap it up here. But if I could say anything, if you are struggling with something, you're not alone. And I know in, in, in it, you feel like nobody understands, but it could get so much fucking better. And all you got to do is just open up and turn to the, the person close to you and say I need help and you'll never be met with any judgment you'll never be met with anything negative it's just about asking for it and I promise you you'll get help you're honestly fucking amazing (laughs) no seriously thank you you because like you said everybody goes through something some much worse and much darker than others But, you know, I think everyone has been in a point in their life where they feel like they're at their lowest low. It might not be an addiction, but it might be, you know, family turmoil or, you know, losing a job or something where they really feel like, what what the fuck is the point anymore, you know? But it could always go up. When you're at your lowest, I always say, it can only go up from there. And I know that's such a cliche saying, but it's true. It's true. Thank you so much, Lee, for opening up. Thank you. And to the next podcast we go. Let's do it.